second episode of Skeevy Delicious. I'm Blotitious. Um, if this is your second time coming here, I really appreciate you listening. If it's your first time, welcome. We're going to be friends, hopefully. Um, I want to talk about a couple things today. Um, first, there's something that's kind of pressing on my mind at the moment. Um, probably around the holiday season of last year, there was um, someone I had been, you know, friends with through middle and high school, and um, our relationship wasn't always solid. We, you know, you, we teenagers, and we didn't always get along, but at the end of the day, she always had a very special place in my heart, and um, we were really close at one time. And um, she was one of the very first teen mothers I had ever known. I said to myself around like November, you know, I haven't really talked to her in a while. You know, I should really like call and check on her. And I just didn't. I don't know if life got in the way or what, but um, I don't know. I just didn't reach out and I should have. And I, I find myself regretting that very greatly. So time goes on, Christmas comes and goes, the new year comes and goes. And then um, I said, I really need to call her. And I still didn't. Fast forward to maybe a few days ago. um, In one of my group chats, we were talking about age and how um, even though I'm in my early 30s, I have friends who are you know, parents and they have children that are going to college this year. And I, you know, am so blown away by how fast time flies. And one of these people was this woman that I knew in middle and high school. So I had really been sitting on this whole calling her thing and I had been putting it off and I don't know why, but my gut was like, call her now. I had a little downtime yesterday afternoon and uh, decided to call her and she answers the phone she sounds real stuffy and kind of drowsy I said oh did I wake you I'm sorry she says no she said uh you know I just was you know crying and upset I said what's wrong well my daughter died you know the beginning of last month which was February I was like what and I mean just in total absolute shock And then she starts telling me what happened and um, her daughter took her own life and uh, that's really unfortunate and she was babysitting her brothers when it happened and um, her brothers are the ones who found her and I feel, I feel guilty because I didn't reach out when I thought about her and I actually made it known, um, In my group chat, I said, you know, I feel really guilty about not reaching out when I thought about it. I feel like I was a bad friend because I thought about you and didn't think about you enough to pick up the phone. I didn't think about you enough to open iMessage and text you. I didn't think of you enough to navigate to your Facebook page and send you a message. I didn't think enough of our history to reach out to you when I thought about you. And that really, it was, it's really fucking with me. 
So I was talking about it in my group chat because they are very, very supportive. And one person pointed out to me, your spirit did not move you to call her for a reason. And I, I thought about it. I said, you know what? You might be right. There may be some intuitive reason why I was not compelled to actually pick up the phone. What if I was meant to talk to her now? What if I was meant to offer something now? But I struggled with that thought because I kind of felt like, is this going to be genuine? Or am I just doing it so I don't feel guilty? Am I just doing this so it doesn't look like I don't care? Is this about the optics? Because to be completely honest, I'm okay with questioning my own motives sometimes because sometimes we have to ask ourselves, why are you doing that? And sometimes you're not going to have an answer. And that's cool. Figure it out and work your way through it. It's okay to not have the answer. The problem is not desiring to know the answer. That's the problem. So, you know, I'm asking myself these objective questions and I felt like I was kind of mind fucking myself a little bit. And I said to myself, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing right now. I may have missed the, the catalyst. I may have missed the initial launch of whatever is happening, but I'm here now. And I'm here now because I want to be here. Nobody forced me. I don't feel compelled by an outside source. This is completely on me. So, I mean, now I don't feel so terrible about it. And I know that from this point going forward, that if she should need me for any reason, I'm there. I'm aware of what's happening. I am available if she needs to talk or vent or cry or just sit on the phone in silence um that's enough for me but what i do want to talk about in relation to that is what happens after suicide because i have very what's the word i'm looking for I have very specific feelings on suicide. I have very specific feelings on suicide and people who choose to take their own lives. Um, and a lot of people feel very strongly about suicide and they feel that it's selfish and that it's not fair. Um, and while I can agree that suicide creates a complete upheaval of the lives of the people around you and the people who love you and people who care about you. Um, but I also think that it's important to acknowledge the fact that for some people, living is literally unbearable. They get upset because they woke up that morning. Because all they wanted was to not be living. And as much as I know that there's people who would like to pray it away or therapy it away or medicate it away, sometimes the only answer really is to just go ahead and go through with it. Some people leave behind, you know, their children. Some people 
leave behind their parents and they don't know how to go on without their child or without their parent because they took their own lives and they're not really sure how to work through the process of grieving because it's never something that you're exactly ready for. Some people are openly suicidal and some people suffer completely in silence. Now, the woman that I know, um, her child suffered completely in silence, didn't tell anybody how they were feeling. There were no signs. There was no way to guess that this was about to happen. It just happened. And I think that that's what makes it the absolute saddest because you have no answers. So you just have to continue your life knowing that they didn't want to be here. Now they're not here. And that's all you know. And that's hard, but I don't think it's fair to call it selfish. I often say you cannot pour from an empty cup. And if my cup is dry, how do you expect me to be here living a life that is completely empty? Just let that sit for a second. How do you expect me to live a life that is totally bone dry on the inside? I just hope that she finds peace sooner rather than later. I know that it's going to be hard and it's never going to be a healed wound that is completely closed. There's never going to be scar tissue because I feel like that wound will always be open, but some days will be better than others. And I just hope that anyone who's ever had to bury their child finds life. They find joy. They find peace somewhere. I know that none of that is easy. Um, and if you or someone close to you feels suicidal, you can always call the National Suicide Hotline. The number is 1-800-273-TALK. Again, that's one 800 273 8255. Now, I do want to switch gears a little bit um, and talk about something else that is not so heavy. Um, it's a little more lighthearted. Unless you're a rapper, you might get upset. Um, but we'll see. Okay. Um, I have a confession. I've talked about this in the past, um, mostly in my blog, or um, I talked about it a little bit on Twitter a few years ago, but um, I love whack rappers. <laughs> I do. I love whack rappers, um, but let me tell you why. Ever since the birth of hip-hop it has given young black and brown people an outlet where they get to express themselves openly without feeling ashamed of that or without having to look around behind their shoulders and check and see if someone's watching them because what they're doing is wrong a lot of messages that marginalized groups used to get across were music for centuries. 
But hip hop was in your face. It was, you gonna listen to me. Hip hop was the child of the civil rights movement. It was say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud over and over again. It was, you about to watch me live and I'm going to live and I'm going to thrive and I'm going to flourish and it's going to be beautiful. And we're going to party while we're doing it. And that was amazing. And there's so much about hip hop that was innovative. Hip hop completely revolutionized what we know about music production and beat making and I don't even just mean the elements of hip-hop. I'm not here to talk about that right now. I'm only talking about rappers, whack ones. So we get this art form, right? And we literally create it from nothing. We took elements from our parents' music and our grandparents' music and our great-grandparents' music. And we use that to make something completely new just for us. That is amazing. And then corporate America realized they could get paid off of this. And that's exactly what they did. Now, there's a very dark sector to hip hop that I'm not really going to discuss, but I do know that it's there. And this is kind of the door to that. So we all know that hip hop was very important in shaping society the way that we see it now. It has given birth to new words, dances, countless trends. Oh my God. Fashion created lanes for niche businesses and it gave flair to urban culture. Urban culture used to be just about being poor and struggling and still maintaining style. But hip hop gave it a certain dignity that it didn't have before that. And I think that that's cool. But my love for whack rappers is less about my pride as a black woman and more about the rappers themselves. Hip hop and rap underwent this really nasty reputation for a while when like gangster rap was the move and you had the East Coast versus West Coast and the war on drugs. And I feel like all of that is connected in some way. Um, and I feel like it was intentional and it was meant to discredit our art and it was meant to discredit us as artists and as creatives and as tastemakers and trendsetters. After that died down a little bit, we had an explosion of subgenres. And a lot of that was due to the internet. The internet is something that black folks and other marginalized groups are using to completely change the narrative about us. Because we're allowed to tell the story. We're allowed to control what is seen, what is heard, what is out there. And we are not afraid to let it be the good and the bad. So once the internet became a little more widely used, um, the late 90s, early 2000s, you have amazing music. Lil John and the East Side Boys, um, D4L, 3-6 Mafia, Yin Yang Twins, Bone Crusher, Lil Scrappy, Lil Scrappy. 
Trillville, Youngbloods, David Banner, Pastor Troy, even Soldier Boy. Soldier Boy used the internet in a way that nobody had ever done before at that time. That is amazing. And he was just a kid. Because like even now, he get on everybody's nerves and he's ridiculous. But he's only like 25. That is phenomenal. And he's been famous for, oh my God, probably... Probably half his life. Wow. Anyway. You have the hip hop fans that only cared about the originals. Where's my LL Cool J? Where's my Big Daddy Kane? Where's my Fat Boys? Where's, you know, BDP and Biggie and Nas? And, you know, they didn't want to hear what was called snap music. They were like, what is this shit? It sounds silly. But they weren't giving it an opportunity to move them. Um... Bloggers went crazy. Folks did interviews and made sure anyone who would listen knew that they felt like this new rap was trash. They didn't feel like it was clever or introspective. They felt like the beats were lazy and that it was just a heavy use of synthesized instruments and an 808 pattern and, you know, sample loops from other songs. And the lyrics were often call and response. But if you think about it, a lot of black music is call and response, and there's nothing wrong with that. From gospel music in church to your backwoods juke joint music, call and response has always been a way to start a party, whether that party may be secular or in the house of the Lord. So I'm looking at this from a different perspective. Because looking at different perspectives is something I'm working on as far as my personal growth is concerned. And I figure if I love music that much, the very least I can do is give it an opportunity to show itself in a different perspective in my mind. So that's what I did. And it drove me to love whack rappers. But it's not just about the music. I love whack rappers because I saw the humanity in what they were doing. I view artists, even if I don't like their music, as more than just entertainment. They're black bodies and brown bodies. They're people. They are someone's son, daughter, husband, wife, mom, dad. They didn't fill out an application to be a rapper or to be famous. They worked for this, even if, even if their music ain't that good. They worked for it. They wanted it. Nobody just handed it to them. I'm not a fan of Young Thug. I don't really like Young Thug's music very much. Um, I have heard a couple songs where I'm like, okay, I can I can rock with this. I do appreciate how Young Thug feels about gender norms. I really rock with that, but his music's not that good. It's just not to me. Um, it took me a very long time to find out that Migos was more than one person and that Migos was short for Amigos. And my friend calls them the Migos, so I call them the Migos now. And ain't nobody gonna tell me different. And there's something about Migos that I find very endearing. Um, but I wouldn't really say that they are good rappers. A lot of what they say is repetitive and a bit ridiculous. And 
the subject of many of their albums never changes. Everything is about dope and clothes and women. And that's boring. Um, but I do really rock with some of their songs. I found out late that Travis Porter was several people. I still don't know what a rich homie Quan is. I just don't, I don't have a rich homie Quan. Do I need a rich homie Quan? Is that a person? Somebody help me. I never know about these things anymore. Um, 21 Savage. I found out that there's like more of them. Him. There's like 22 Savage. I don't know. Um, there's a, a Lil Yachty. I don't know. I, Lil Uzi Vert. I mean, there's just so many of them. And I'm like, what is happening? What are you even saying? And most of them, I've never even heard any of their music. And I have no desire to. I can't tell none of them apart. I'm pretty sure that their music is all going to be trash. Um, Kodak Black, like, he got like a rape charge or something. So I'm like, I don't ever want to hear your music just based off of that. Um, there's just, there's so many. There's so many of them. Small black boys with not a care in the world and just doing whatever and making shitty music. Anyway, these people are young and black. And by societal standards, these people are nothing. They should be nothing. They should have nothing. They should acquire tens of thousands of dollars in debt to go to college to fight tooth and nail for a living wage in corporate America, even though they're already black and breathing, so that's two automatic strikes. Their music careers may stand the test of time. They may not. But can they get some carefree dream living, please, for a little while? And I understand that this isn't guaranteed. It's not something that is going to be constant for them. But I feel like they're living their dreams live and in living color right now with very little boundaries. Without rap, they may have never been given that opportunity because a lot of these kids come from nothing and nowhere. I love whack rappers because they're usually black people who came from nothing, absolutely nothing, who are able to live the most amazing life if even... Even if it's just for a little while, at least they tasted it. And for some artists who have someone with their best interests at heart, they learn from the game and are able to use it to their advantage to keep their heads in the game, however that may be. And these kids are able to relieve their mothers of heavy burdens. Many of them can send a younger sibling to a decent school. They can pay their mother's mortgage off with a few concert appearances, or they can buy hella shoes. Regardless of what they do with their money, they were able to put what's in their hearts out into the air for the world to hear. And I love that. What's not to love about that? I think it's important for everybody to harness whatever type of creativity lives inside of them. So I take issue with schools always cutting arts programs. These could be 
lifelong musicians for all we know, and we are not giving them the proper opportunity. And then it becomes a whole nother problem when we have labels and managers and agents who prey on these people. So if they're taught the right way and they learn how to manage a lifestyle like this, I feel like there would be more of them getting, you know, unsung episodes and not being all broke down and toe up and sitting on Ian LaVanzant's couch and shit. But let them live. Let them breathe. I feel like we're all owed that. And with that said, I'm going to leave you with this. Blowing someone's candle out doesn't make your shine any brighter. Don't be a hater hoe. Be a greater hoe. I appreciate you for listening. Um, come back and see me next week. If you have a question, concern, comment, you want to submit music, you want to talk to me, you want to ask me questions, whatever you need, skeevydelicious.com, skeevydelicious on Twitter. I'm everywhere. You ain't never there, but you are invited. So we going to be family. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Peace out, y'all.